Welcome to the Mom Worthy Podcast. This is Brittany. This is Sam. Grab your coffee or your wine and come hang out with us. Hey, mamas. Hey, we just had a great talk with Samantha, who is a doula. Mm-hmm. She gave us great information on exactly what a doula is, yes. how they differ from midwives, the benefits of having a doula, and also what doulas are doing right now with the coronavirus going on. Yeah, was, and she gave a lot of really good information. Oh, I, yeah. I didn't really know about doulas when I first got pregnant, and I, the more I learned about them, the more I wish I would have had one, and... She's great, too, because she also has a course that she sells. So even if you maybe can't get one right now because of coronavirus, you should check out her course, which she talks about. Yeah, on sale for 30 bucks right for now. For 30 bucks, so. So it is really affordable. I like that as well because I I just couldn't imagine being like $200 right yes, now. Like, yes. that's just unrealistic in this day and age. Yes. So at least she has, there's other options for people right now. Yes. But, you know, people are, are pregnant right now and don't have babies due to the end of the year. So doulas should be available, hopefully. By then. By then to yes. join them. But we hope you enjoy this one because we really did. She had a lot mm-hmm. of good information. So here is our chat with Samantha. Hello. Is that Samantha? Hello. Yes. How are this you? Two is Samantha. <laughs> <laughs> Got two Sams and Brit. Awesome. <laughs> How are you doing today? Pretty well. How about you guys? We are doing good. We're excited to talk to you today. Yeah, thank you so much for having Yeah, thanks for joining us. These interviews uh, take on a whole nother level of enjoyment now that we're practicing social distancing. <laughs> right, <laughs> this is the excitement of the week, really. Interaction, <laughs> human interaction. I know. <laughs> so we, have, we did get some questions from people. We have a lot to talk about, but we want you to first just explain to everyone what exactly a doula is. Okay. Um, So a doula is a non-medical support professional. Um, And well, first I should say there are a variety of types of doulas. So I'm a birth doula. um, So that's what I will be talking about. There's also postpartum doulas um, and doulas that work in other areas of life as well. But um, so a birth doula provides um, emotional support, informational support, um, and physical support in the form of comfort measures throughout um, pregnancy, labor, birth, and the early postpartum period. So um, the question that I get asked probably the most often relating to this is how are doulas different from midwives? And um, midwives are medical professionals. So they, you know, are monitoring your care and your baby's health and your health throughout your whole pregnancy. And they're performing clinical tasks like cervical checks um, and exams and things like that. And doulas um, are just kind of filling in the the other gaps. We're providing the information and um, the education and the, the prep work that you need to kind of be able to go into your birth uh, confident and ready to have a positive experience regardless of what it looks like. Awesome. And how did you get into that? Yeah. So I've been a doula for about seven years now. Um, and before becoming a doula, I worked as a crisis intervention counselor with women and children. Um, and I really, you know, enjoyed that work and I enjoyed working with women and kind of helping them through times of transition. But obviously that was, um, a pretty grueling, uh, form of work. And as I got married and, um, started thinking about having my own family, 
I kind of started looking elsewhere um, and learned about doula work and was just, I just fell in love with it. I knew it was for me because it still allowed me to kind of use my counseling background to be there for people during um, a big time of transition and stress. Even if it's good stress, it's still stress. And, um, you know, work with women and families. And I was used to being on call because that was part of my job before. Um, and I like having a job where something is, you know, new and different every day. Um, but it's um, much more positive, obviously, than the oh, work yeah. that I was doing before. And it still allows me a little bit more flexibility to get to be home with my kids during the day and um, kind of just have the life that I want to have. I love that. I love that. I think that's so important for moms, too, to have that balance. So it's great that you've been able to find that. Yeah. I'm curious, what type of education do you guys need to become a doula? Like, what does that look like, that process? Yeah. So it's going to depend on, um, you know, what organization you go through and who you get your certification from. I did my initial certification and training through Dona International, and then I went on um, to become dual certified by another organization called the Integrated Birth and Family Alliance. Um, but pretty much all of the certifying agencies use some sort of combination of training where you're, you know, learning about birth and learning about being a support person, um, reading, writing assignments, and then um, accumulating experience and getting, you know, reviews and paperwork basically filled out by providers and clients um, and submitting a bunch of stuff together in a packet for review and being certified. And then you have to get a certain amount of continuing education hours, um, you know, every year to keep your certification up. Wow. That's a more intense than I actually thought it was. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. Can you walk me through like if, so if I were to reach out for for you to be my doula, how does that work? Do you do it at the beginning of your pregnancy? Are you with them throughout their pregnancy? Is it just the day of the birth or how does that work? Yeah. So, I mean, you can, you can hire a doula at any point that you want to, but actually, um, I feel like the majority of the benefit to my clients and a, a lot of the work that we do is during pregnancy. It's not just that day of the birth. Um, so, you know, some people know right up front that they want to do and they will try to find someone, you know, the minute that they go yeah. and get the test. Um, and then most people, though, are kind of starting to think about that and starting to think about, you know, what they want their birth team to look like around the second trimester. Um, and usually I, I like to be able to start working with people um, at the beginning of the third trimester, just so that we have plenty of time to get our, our meetings in and get to know one another. But, you know, I've also had people hire me at 36 and 37 weeks. So mm -hmm. it just depends. Um, but in terms of building that rapport and working through things that need to be worked through, it's usually nice to have the whole third trimester. You know, kind of on that note, what are the things that you guys do together to get prepared? Like when you talk about those meetings and everything, what yeah. does that look like? Um, so typically um, you have an interview with your doula first and that's just a free, you know, time for you guys to get to know each other and for, for someone to figure out who it is that they want on their birth team. And I always recommend to people that they do take the time to interview more than one doula, even if you 
feel like you really know who is going to be the best fit for you, kind of taking the time to um, sit down and interview more than one person allows you to kind of get the different perspectives of people, um, kind of get a feel for different people's um, practice style and their vibe and decide, you know, who's going to be the best fit for you because you can hire the doula with all of the experience and all of the certification and all of those things. But if you don't click with them and you don't have a good rapport with them, and most importantly, if you don't trust them, it's going to be really hard for you to listen to what they have to say and to really um, accept their support and accept their help. So, you know, it's very, very rapport based um, and you want to make sure that whoever you are going to have there with you is someone that you trust um, and someone that your partner trusts too, because doulas do a lot of work um, with partners as well. So that's the first step. And then once you um, choose who you want to work with. Um, you usually set up about two prenatal meetings, um, minimum of two, sometimes more. And um, in the first meeting, the way that I do it is um, the first meeting is the long meeting. It's the big meeting. And we kind of go over everything from how you're feeling about your pregnancy, how you're feeling about your provider, um, any anxieties or concerns that you have stemming from a previous birth experience that we might need to address. Um, I do a quick run through of like basic childbirth education. So stages of labor, what that looks like, what the goals are for each stage of labor, um, what uh, common interventions might you might encounter um, and need to know about. Then we talk about birth planning, um, and I don't sit there and do the birth plan with my clients. What I do is kind of explain to them why I feel like birth planning is important, um, which for me has more to do with going through the process and communicating it um, with with your partner than actually like the physical piece of paper that you might hand to people. Um, so then I leave that with them to do in between our meetings, um, and then we talk a lot about fetal positioning. Um, cause that's, uh, an area of expertise for me. And we talk about, um, some different exercises and things that we can do in our lifestyle to kind of improve fetal positioning, which can help make labor a little bit easier. Um, and then we kind of wrap up and our second meeting is a little bit shorter and we use that as an opportunity to go over, um, the birth plan that hopefully the couple has had a chance to to look over and talk about at that point and address any questions or concerns that might come from that. Um, review comfort measures. We do go over comfort measures in that first meeting as well. And then talk about creating a postpartum plan, how they're feeling about postpartum support, um, and do a little bit of talking about breastfeeding if that's a goal of theirs. And then we kind of make sure everybody's on the same page about logistics for the birth. Um, and then I go on call at 37 weeks gestation, unless there's some reason where we know mom is going to be delivering earlier than that, um, like multiples or something like that. And then I'm just on call. And that means I don't travel. Um, I don't do any like overnight travel or anything like that. I have my bags packed and ready. Um, I have two little kids of my own, so they also have a bag <laughs> that gets packed um, in the event that they need to be, like, quickly dropped off at their dad's office or something. Um, and then um, my phone 
is on very loud, which it's not the rest of the time. Um, when I'm not on call, my phone is always on vibrate. <laughs> but um, when I'm on call, my phone is up and loud and I'm just ready to go. And, you know, usually during this time, I'm, I'm texting with my clients pretty regularly and checking in on them through their end of pregnancy. And everybody always has a lot of those end of pregnancy questions about what's normal and what's not normal and those types of things. And then eventually... Uh, labor comes. And I usually join clients around the time the active labor begins. So, you know, hopefully we've been kind of communicating through that early labor phase. So I have a heads up. Um, and then once active labor hits and they really feel like they need that extra support, I will go meet them at their homes if that is what they want, if they're, if they're laboring at home for a while um, and kind of help them get into a good coping rhythm and then go over to the hospital or I'll just meet them at the hospital depending on what's going on. And then I stay the whole time. Um, so sometimes it's short and sometimes it's very, very long. <laughs> um, mm. And we just kind of work through the contractions and work through birth. And then I usually stay for about an hour to two hours following the delivery just to make sure that everybody's doing well and they're settled. Um, and that breastfeeding has been established if that's a goal. And then after that, I usually do like two postpartum follow-ups. So one is pretty quick after the delivery, like 24, 48 hours. Um, most of the time I try to get over, if they've delivered at the hospital, I try to get over there and do it before they leave the hospital. Um, and that's just a quick check-in like, Hey, you know, have you gotten any sleep? Has the lactation consultant come and seen you? How are you feeling? And then um, my last visit is usually around two to three weeks postpartum. And that's really our opportunity to kind of process the birth story. And, you know, I can answer any questions that they have about anything that happened. And then to just double check that they have access to any of resources that they need. Usually I'm also talking to them, you know, pretty regularly, especially in that first week postpartum um, to kind of screen for any breastfeeding issues or anything like that. But um, you know, in the event that we make it to that two or three week mark and they're still looking for breastfeeding referrals um, for lactation consultants or mental health referrals or anything like that, um, then we will address it then. It's awesome. So it sounds like you're just a really, really good support system for these mamas, you know, and their go-to person for any questions or concerns that they have, which is awesome. Just support and education. Yeah. Yeah. I always figure it's easier for someone to, you know, pick up their phone and text me than it is to like, you know, try to get your own call provider or things like that when it's a small yeah. question that I can answer. And if I can't answer it, then I'll tell you, you know, you need to talk to your provider and, and encourage you to do that. But um, it's always easier to get in touch with me. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I know personally when I was pregnant, too, I, I just didn't want to call for every little thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I went to, you know, Brittany. I went mm -hmm. to my mom and my sister, you know, and, you know, I found my community and everything. But I think it would be especially important for those moms that maybe don't have that community mm -hmm. to really look into a doula because I feel like that's such a good support system to have. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm I'm curious. You mentioned birth plans, and I I did a birth plan, mm -hmm. you know, and I printed it out. I brought it to the hospital. Mm -hmm. They kind of laughed at me because I think that they weren't <laughs> weren't used to getting the birth plan printed out and giving it to them. But you know, for me, things were really important. Like I delayed cord clamping, and I delayed the first bath, and did other things like that. Mm -hmm. 
Do you have any personal preferences that you try to encourage your moms about in regards to things like that? Yeah. So first, like, here's a little bit more in-depth on my stance on birth plans. I think that it really, really depends, A, on, you know, where you're located, what um, the standard protocols are at your hospitals and with your provider. So if you're really trying to communicate a preference for your birth that's not standard for them, then by all means, you know, having a written out birth plan that you hand to your provider is important. And hopefully they will respect that. And ideally, you're even communicating that to your provider at your prenatal appointments um, and not just when you get to the hospital. Um, I think, you know, a few years ago when birth plans really started coming up in popularity, a lot of the things that people were putting on their birth plans were not commonplace. Things like delayed cord clamping and delaying the newborn bath um, or preferences surrounding a family-centered cesarean, things like that. They just, they weren't common practice and it was important to communicate that to providers because that's really what moms were wanting. You know, in my area, I live in a, a larger metropolitan area. So since then, I think a lot of these practices have become commonplace because so many people were requesting them, which is awesome. Um, mm-hmm. So it hasn't lately been as much of a concern to make sure that you're communicating, you know, specific things like that to providers if they are common practice. Um, That being said, you know, taking the time to sit down and walk through a birth planning template that walks you through different scenarios and asks you what your preferences would be in certain scenarios is incredibly valuable because, Doing that allows you to have that conversation and think through things that you might not otherwise have thought through. And I think that that's one of the biggest things we can do for ourselves to help our birth experience be positive, regardless of how it plays out, right? Because feeling like you've taken the time to think about how you would ideally like a variety of situations handled means that you've you've done that at a time when you're calm, at a time when you're thinking clearly um, and you're not operating, you know, from fear or fatigue or being yeah. overwhelmed. Whereas if you're getting tons of new information and you're having to make decisions on things that you've never learned about or heard about um, or thought about before birth and then someone's, you know, saying you need to make a decision about this, you're going to be more likely to come out the other side with some you know, regrets or feeling overwhelmed or just having a lot to process. So, you know, I think taking that time to create a birth plan is just valuable regardless of whether or not you're giving it to your provider. Um, And in terms of specifics, you know, my role as a doula is to provide information and provide support so that people can make the decisions that are best for their families. So I don't I don't usually go in and say like, here's what I think you should do Um, because that's not really my job. My definition of like positive or what would work for me is going to be different than what might feel best for someone else. So what I do is usually just give people a lot of information. So, you know, um, eye ointment for newborns. I tell them, you know, why, why is this standard practice? What, um, what are they doing to, when they give the baby eye ointment and does it pertain to you? Because a lot of the reasons that they started um, giving eye ointment as a standard practice for newborns was to avoid blindness that could come from some sexually transmitted infections. So 
if you are very sure that you don't have a sexually transmitted infection, that might be something that you can avoid doing if that's what you want to do. So I just kind of give that type of information. What are the pros and cons of delaying the newborn bath? What are the pros and cons of delayed core clamping? And let people make their own decisions um, on what's going to be best for them. We both uh, denied the eye goop for all our yeah. <laughs> But they, they also tested us when we were pregnant. Right. I was pretty sure, but I was positive once I got the test. Right, right. <laughs> like, like you said, that's not something they, they have a conversation with you about. They just do it unless you tell them not to. At least for us, it was yes. that way. Yeah, usually that is that is the case. Mm-hmm. Another thing that you mentioned in earlier that really stuck out to me was when you talked about fetal positioning. Now, my baby was born sunny side mm-hmm. up, which did, did cause me a lot of issues. Is that something that you guys, does that pertain to what you do with the fetal positioning? Yes. So that that is what we're working on when we're talking about fetal positioning. So I um, have had the the privilege of doing some specialized training through spinning babies Um, which is an organization that like completely uh, revolves around looking at the um, anatomy of the pelvis and kind of figuring out how fetal positioning and anatomy work together to um, encourage labor. And um, it's very fascinating. But one of the things that that we're looking at is that OP posterior sunny side up position. Um, And that for anybody who's listening would mean that the back of the baby's head was facing mom's spine. Um, So, you know, when we say OP, it's occiput, which is the head, and then posterior, which is the back of the head, um, and then posterior towards mom's back. So, um, and it's one of those things, you know, I don't believe in anything really being true for everyone. And I I don't ever want to play into any like fear mongering surrounding this topic because there are people who are like, oh no, my baby is going to be OP. That's going to mean everything's going to be horrible. And, you know, I'm going to have to have a C-section or something. And that's not true. Um, You know, everyone. I did. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So some of it has to do with with a woman's unique anatomy and kind of the shape of her pelvis and um, some of that. And some women can have posterior babies come out perfectly fine and have no problems in labor. But we do tend to see a trend um, with posterior babies just causing some issues in labor that, you know, just make it a little bit more complicated. Again, it's not, it's not necessarily making or breaking anything, but it's, Some of the things that we'll see is an increase in back pain. Um, And, you know, again, that happens for some people. It doesn't happen for other people. Um, One of the biggest things that I see, though, is kind of an an irregular contraction pattern. We'll see, like, coupling of contractions. So you'll get um, two contractions back-to-back and then a space, um, like a longer space than we would expect. And then two contractions back to back and then a space. So you're not seeing that like even um, contraction pattern. And another thing that we'll see sometimes too are contractions that look in terms of intensity and spacing like active labor contractions and then we'll check dilation and the dilation doesn't match after after a long stretch and we'll start to think like okay what what's going on here and basically all of that boils down to the uterus having to work a little extra hard to try to 
either turn the baby or encourage the baby to get down into the pelvis in a position that might not be the easiest for that. Um, so what we try to do ahead of time in pregnancy is just some exercises that um, either help to balance the pelvis and make sure that the ligaments in the pelvis are not too tight and that they're balanced so that um, there's plenty of space and room uh, for the baby to turn and to get into the pelvis. And then we're also basically using gravity in our favor to try to encourage baby to turn because a lot of times in our in our regular day-to-day life, we are spending time in a semi-reclined seated position. So if you have bucket seats in your car or you're kind of leaning back on the couch to watch TV um, or watch a movie or you're sitting in a desk chair that way and spending a lot of time in that position especially um, makes it so that gravity is pulling the heaviest part of your baby, which again is the back of their head backwards towards their spine or towards your spine. So a lot of the exercises that we're doing are encouraging forward leaning um, movements and movements to kind of help baby actually get up out of the pelvis, have room to turn forward and then come back down. Um, So we work on some of those exercises. And then I also just explain all of that information that I just explained here and say like, in general, it's important to pay attention to your posture. So if you're going to be driving in the car, put a pillow behind your back so that you're sitting up straight. And if you're going to be watching TV, maybe try laying down on your left side, rotated forward a little bit um, instead of sitting in that semi-reclined seated position or lean over your birth ball while you're watching TV in the evening and just kind of give yourself time in that forward leaning position to kind of counterbalance um, any you know, more malpositioned, um, experiences that you had had during the day. So we just talk a lot about, about that. Um, and I explain the series of exercises that I give to them. And, you know, for the most part, we've had pretty good success with that. Awesome. I think that's important for people to know too, but I think people don't, I've looked into spinning babies recently because I've seen people suggest Mm -hmm. it and it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. I think it would be interesting for me, like we didn't know my baby wasn't always flipped around. Mm-hmm. Right. I went into labor with us not mm-hmm. knowing and my nurse didn't know either. So I ended up pushing for two hours um, before my baby mm-hmm. came out. And, and some of the things that you said in regards to looking at the contraction pattern yeah, and, I mean. and things like that. Um, I, I wish that would have been something I was aware of yeah. mm-hmm. to even just know if my baby was, coming out a different way you know because I had no idea and it scared me I didn't know what was happening so I'm curious so right now with all that's going on with coronavirus (laughs) how is that affecting oh my goodness um it's it's been a month guys (laughs) Um, it hasn't even been a month right we're in like week week three (laughs) it feels feels like like it's it's been a really long time (laughs) um it's been interesting so right now um, in my community, which has a lot of hospitals in it, we are not able to attend births in the hospital right now. Um, so they've pretty much all limited to one support person um, with no switching. And once the support person is there, they are your support person through the postpartum stay. Um, so, you know, for the most part, people are obviously wanting that to be their partner. Um So that has made us do a lot of switching over to 
virtual support. Um, so right now, you know, things that have been easy to switch are interviews and prenatal meetings because that's all talking, right? So we can do that through video chats and things like that. Um, and that hasn't been an issue at all. In terms of my focus, I've spent a little more time than I usually do um, with mom's partner, just making sure that I do everything I can to equip them to be ready to be sole labor support. So I've spent a lot of time um, making sure that they are feeling confident um, about understanding the stages of labor and what that looks like. Um, so that, you know, especially during transition, because that tends to be the hardest stage for dads, husbands, partners, what have you, um, just because it's more intense and it can be a little bit harder for partners to you know, watch mom be uncomfortable or just not understand what's going on. Um, so we've talked a lot about that. Um, I've made sure that every, all of them have a copy of The Birth Partner, which is a great reference book um, for labor support people. And um, then we've spent a lot of time on comfort measures. And I actually um, developed a comfort measures course earlier this year, which has proven to be a very valuable resource right now. Um, so it's a, it's a video based course, um, that covers 11 different comfort measures, um, and talks about, you know, why they work and how they work and gives a demonstration of them. So, you know, they have all had access to that and have been working through those so that they can feel confident about that. And then I'm still providing on call support during births and it just kind of looks dependent on the person. So if everyone is, is well and um, you know, I've been talking to them all a lot and they've been social distancing the same way that I've been social distancing. So if they are comfortable with it, I'm still providing support in their homes during early labor just to kind of help them get into a good routine before they go to the hospital and help them decide when to go to the hospital um, and then once they leave, you know, it's very dependent on, on what each family is wanting. So, um, you know, I have three clients that are due soon and one of them is a first time mom. And I think they're really going to want me there more continuously, whether that's on a video call or um, a phone call or, or whatever works for them. We're still trying to figure that out. And then. Um, the other ones kind of just want me to regularly check in with them. So every like half an hour to an hour just to regularly check in and be like, okay, how are things going and offer suggestions for different comfort measures or position changes or answer any questions um, once they're at the hospital. And then postpartum, um, I'll probably, you know, be doing the majority of those visits virtually as well. So it's definitely been a shift. Um it's a little bit of a relief now that everyone is on the same page and doing the same thing. I think the most stressful time was when we had like some hospitals doing one thing and other hospitals doing another thing and just kind of being in the chaos of figuring out like who I was going to be with in person and who I wasn't going to be with in person. Um, it is frustrating. I feel like doulas should be an essential, you know, that's, that's my thoughts at least. I've seen people posting about it too and, and kind of trying to raise awareness on how they should make it in a sense. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard. And and I am definitely, you know, grieving the loss of being able to be there for my clients and, and to be there as a support to their families. And I know that they are disappointed 
the best way that it's been described to me, which helps my understanding a little bit, is that as doulas, we we don't work within one hospital system. And a lot of times we're traveling to people's homes or birth centers or different hospitals. And, you know, if we are continuing to do that work and traveling all around, we especially have um, an increased risk of kind of spreading things around and, and having a lot of points of contact with people um, versus, you know, professionals who might only work in one hospital system on one floor with one set of people, right? So, I mean, on, on that regard, I do understand it and I'm trying to just be creative and figure out all the different ways that I can still support people. And I think, you know, getting that message out that a lot of what we do as doulas is prenatal and postpartum anyway, um, you know, is helpful in, in um, helping people understand the value that's still there. But it is disappointing and it's hard. And, you know, I'm, I'm just hoping that it is as short-lived as possible. <laughs> yes, but everyone can get your course. Yes, my is course is available everybody? to anybody. Um, and it is, it's on sale right now. Um, normally it's $45 because I still, I want it to always be as accessible as possible for people. But I know that finances are an especially big concern right now. So it is on sale for $30 um, with the code oh, wow. GET15. Um, and it is available on my website. CarolinaDulaCollective.com. Okay, perfect. And what's your, is that your Instagram um, as well? So people can yes, find Yes, my you Instagram, Instagram is Carolina Doula Collective. And I do a lot on Instagram um, too, in terms of just education and resources for people um, all over the world. Yeah, your Instagram is visually <laughs> beautiful, but it also has a lot of great information Thank in you. it as well. So I absolutely recommend if people are listening, yeah. follow her. Even if you can't hire a doula, you can definitely learn a lot from all of the posts that you share. And get her course. <laughs> and get her course for 30 bucks. Thank yeah. you. Heck yeah. I love it. Totally worth Thank you for um, talking yeah, to us. Yeah, thank you for having me. really enjoyed having you. Yeah, we, you know, thank you so much. I, I know personally I've, I've learned a lot from chatting with you and – you know, I kind of wish I could go back in time and have a doula myself, but hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah. Right. All right. Thank you, Samantha. Thank you. You day. too. Bye. 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 Such a good conversation with her. I love talking to Samantha. I know. If only I had known about fetal positioning when I was pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like especially first time moms, like I would yeah. recommend a doula, especially or moms who had traumatic births the first mm -hmm. time for sure. We hope you guys enjoyed it too. We hope that answers some of your questions. I feel like a lot of people don't really know exactly what a doula does. And she explained it really well. I didn't honestly, before this episode, know the difference between a doula and a midwife. Oh yeah. See, I'm going to be honest. I knew the difference. <laughs> I had known they both kind of like generally what they had done, but mm -hmm. I didn't know exactly what had differentiated him until now. And I feel like doulas were looked at for a long time as like a crunchy mom thing, but it's an every mom thing. Every mom needs support and education. Mm -hmm. And like she said, like when you're in the moment, you kind of forget things, you mm -hmm. make rash decisions and husbands a lot of times same thing yeah. they're kind of in the moment with you if you have someone there just more like a voice of reason yeah. and just knows your birth plan that's the importance of them and i just think you don't know until potentially after your birth if you would have liked to have a doula or not yeah. you know with my situation i did not have a good experience with my nurse that was assigned to me and looking back it would have been fantastic totally. if i had a doula there yep 
to kind of counteract that situation. My first birth, I wish I would have had a doula because oh, things yeah. went happen. Just I wish I would have had the support there because I didn't know better. But second and third, I was more vocal, but for sure mm-hmm. the first time. All right, well, we hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, don't forget, uh, we have our Facebook group, Momworthy Mamas. If you have any questions about anything, that's a great support group. We also have Momworthy After Dark. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, <laughs> you just want to take a second to hit the five stars and leave a quick review. We appreciate it so much. Yes, girl, yes. Thank you guys for listening. Bye.